you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. There was no spirit left in any man because of you, for the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death, If you do not tell this business of us, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Well, good morning again, uh, everyone, and thanks, Dom, so much for sharing. It feels like we were just getting started and then suddenly you wound up. Maybe that can be part A. <laughs> but let's come uh, now and look at this chapter of Joshua 2 we just heard read. I'll, I'll be looking at the whole chapter. We just looked at the first verses. So if you do have your Bibles, you'll see as we flick through. But Joshua chapter 2 opens with something that is dear to my heart. It's a need of military intelligence. And uh, as a former intelligence officer, I can't tell you how hurtful it was when people said that military intelligence was an oxymoron or army intelligence was a contradiction in terms. So hurtful. But Joshua apparently didn't believe that because he's got a need for military intelligence. God hasn't told him at this point exactly what to do next. So he uses his brains and he does what Moses did 40 years before. He sends out spies, intelligence gathering spies. And he tells them, verse 1, go and view the land 
especially Jericho. Jericho is the fortress city guarding the entrance to the land, the promised land, the land of Canaan. Jericho had to come first. So off they go. But the good plan quickly comes unstuck because the king of Jericho clearly believed in intelligence and counterintelligence. And his counterintelligence agents discover where the spies are, that they're in the city and their location, and then he sends a posse to um, capture them. And for those two spies, capture, torture, death are now inevitable. The king of Jericho will probably hang their bodies from the walls of Jericho as a silent testimony. This is what happens if you try to invade our land. But the men go to um, the house of a prostitute whose name is Rahab. If you're going into a foreign town and you don't know anyone, the home of a prostitute is probably as good as anywhere you can get. Men are always coming and going. He's going to think of a few more. And Rahab suddenly finds herself with the decision to make. Uh, On one hand, her uh, action is obvious. Turn the spies in. I mean, they're enemies. They're from another nation. They've come to destroy her own people and take and take the city of Jericho. So turn them in. The king will reward her financially. She'll be she'll be get more security in the society. Anyway, she's probably heard enough about their God and his holy standards to know that her profession, not only her nationality and her religion, is an offense to a holy God. What place has she got with people like that? So the broad and easy road lies ahead of Rahab. Turn them in. And surely we think at this point in the text, she'll do it. Then we see the responses. And these three agents respond quickly. The the king of Jericho goes, right, send the soldiers, get the men. He's not interested in hearing what the spies might have to say or about their God. He wants them dead. King's made his decision. Uh, Then we see Rahab responds. And her response is not what we would have expected. I mean, you know the story, so you know what's going to happen. But if you read this for the first time, you would not expect this to happen. Rahab decides to hide the spies, not turn them in. And she covers them under flax on her roof. And Rahab's just become perhaps one of the most hated people within a military conflict. She's just become a collaborator with the enemy. And so when the banging on the door begins, she lies to the soldiers. He sends them off on a wild goose chase. And then later that evening, when the, well, the, when the, the men of Jericho are hightailing it towards the river, Jordan, She comes up in the evening and she speaks to the two spies. And this is really interesting because you you, you might miss it in the English, but in the Hebrew, the way the passage is constructed, it tells us her speech is really what matters here. There's lots of interesting things around. Rahab's words are the center of this passage. And and this is what Rahab says in verse 9. She says, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. How does she know? How does she know? Because she's heard God's word. For we've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to see on an og, whom you devoted to destruction. She's heard about the God of Israel. She's heard of his power. You notice that? 
She's heard of what he has done in the past. And in this moment where she has the option to, 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 you know, to receive more shares in the bank of Jericho by getting, by getting the good things from the king and security in the place where she lives, but she's heard of this God who's coming and she goes, I think the bank of Jericho is going to crash. And so she's presented with a choice. And what she does is after she has delivered the men from death, she comes up in the evening and says, I have shown you and the word she uses in Hebrew is chesed. Comes up a lot in the Old Testament. It means God's loving kindness, faithfulness, mercy. And she says, I've shown this to you guys. You'd be dead without me. And then she said, show me chesed. Show my family mercy, loving kindness. Rahab has been put in a really difficult situation. She's got to put all her eggs in one basket, only one. And I hope you don't miss the wonder of what she does. It's bold, risky, dangerous, courageous. But she says, verse 11, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Did you see just what happened? This woman, Rahab, heard the word of God, encountered the power and the beauty, the wonder of God, and she becomes the most unlikely convert, the most unlikely new believer that you could ever imagine. While Rahab responds, the king's already responded, then the spies respond. And the spies, presumably they're very grateful for what she's just done for them. They're alive. Um, presumably they're encouraged incredibly. Here they are in the middle of the Canaanite citadel of Jericho and God has got his people. He's moving in the heart of a prostitute called Rahab. So presumably they're encouraged um, and then Rahab tells them that, that the hearts of all the people are crumbling. That would have been really good news to them. On the outside, the Canaanites seemed so powerful and big, but on the inside, they were crumbling. Um, but I don't know if you noticed it, but the response of the spies is interesting. It feels like they're being reluctantly pressed into showing this mercy. Do you notice that? Um, twice in, in, the, in 2 verses 17 and 20, they say to them, you forced us to sign this. You forced us to agree to this deal. And they, they very closely prescribe the limits of it. They say, you hang the red cord out of the window, which we're, you're going to let us down out of the wall. Hang the red cord. If that red cord's there, when we come, everybody in your house is, is on our heads. They're under our protection. But, but if you don't hang the red cord... Or if anyone goes into the street, blood's on their own heads. It's almost like there's a sense of reluctance in these guys. And you can understand it. Look, there's three things against this woman. Number one, her gender in that time. Number two, her religion. Right? Th those are pretty big things. She she's, a, she's a pagan, she's a woman, and on top of that, her profession. The job that she does. All of these are, must have been an offense to these spies, but reluctantly, they agree to show her the chesed, the mercy of God. 
And they go back, the spies, to Joshua, and then verse 24, they tell him, truly the Lord has given us all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Good news for Joshua. That's the story, right, we just heard. Now, what I want to look at is what are some of the applications? What, what, what do we take away from that? Because I could spend this whole next minutes that we have talking about the ethics of truth-telling. Good night. And we're going to talk about, did, did Rahab do right or did she wrong? She lied. How can she lie? But she, we could talk about that in ethics. And if you go to theological college or somewhere like that, you will. But that's not the main point of this passage. We could say, how did the spies get across the river? Because it was in full flood. How did that happen? That'd be interesting to know, but not the main point. Let's look at what comes from the main point, which is the speech of Rahab. Number one. It's important, God is not the God of the Jew only. And you and I hear that and we go, of course he's not. Because we're all Gentiles. Most of us here, if you're not, if you're Jewish, you're very welcome. You're listening online. Most of us here in this corner of the world, we are Gentile. And we think everybody who's a Christian is Gentile. So what do you mean God's not the God of the Jew only? And what I mean is, is that if you put yourself in salvation history, what happens to Rahab is amazing. She's a Gentile. She's not part of God's covenant people. She's not a, a daughter or a descendant of Moses. She, she's not in the bloodline of Abraham. This woman is outside of God's promises. She's more than outside. She's an enemy. She's a Gentile. And yet, at the end of chapter 2, we see her welcomed into God's covenant people. And sometimes I, I suspect we as Gentiles lose the wonder of it. We presume, of course, we're welcomed in. But Paul in Romans 9 to 11, uh, he, he spends three chapters dealing with this and he says, no, the Jewish people are the true olive branch grafted into the tree. You were wild olive branches. You weren't bearing any fruit. You were worthy to be cut off and burned and thrown into the fire. You were outside. You were alien to the covenants and the promises of Israel. But God brought you in, in Jesus Christ. He grafted you into the tree. So some of the, the wonder that Rahab must have felt at being an outsider, being a, a, a pagan, a, a Gentile, included into the covenant people of Israel, there's a sense that we should feel the same. The thankfulness that God has brought us who are far off close. And, and this is also important to note. In a book where there's going to be some pretty intense questions about um, genocide, if you want to use that word. 400 years, the Canaanite people have been heaping up their sin. Now the judgment falls on them. It, this, the Joshua is as much about the judgment on the, peace, on the people of Canaan for their sin as it is about the grace of God in bringing his people into the promised land. Let's not forget that it begins with mercy to a Gentile woman. That's how this story begins. The very first scene that takes place within the promised land is, gen is mercy to a Gentile woman. That's the first thing. Second thing, you can't miss here, I think, that God's mercy goes out towards the violent in faith. The violent in faith. I use it. I'll explain why I use it. Be a Jew or Gentile, God's mercy goes out to the ones that know that they need it. There's, uh, Rahab comes up in the New Testament, in the book of James. 
Uh, Rahab is actually, I'll read what the Apostle James says about Rahab. She says, he says in James chapter 2.25, and in the same way was also not Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. James says, Rahab knew what she wants and that her faith is, is well, her, she's justified by her works. The faith from within her results in works that are evidence of her justification. James says, she's a model for you guys. Rahab the prostitute, you want to know about faith? Look at her. There's a desperation in her faith that seems to draw God like a magnet. And it's true, isn't it? Think of blind Bartimaeus in the new, by the road going, help me, Lord, help me, help me, help me. And they must shut up. And then and he just shut, shut up. But he keeps yelling and yelling. And Jesus is drawn to him. And he says, what do you want? I'll heal you. Um, think of so many examples. Um, think of the friends lowering the paralytic through the roof, digging open the roof, <laughs> dropping this guy in front of Jesus. There's a desperation in faith. But my personal favorite is Matthew 15, 27. You know the story? Another, another Gentile woman, another pagan woman coming, coming to Jesus and saying, please heal my son. And Jesus says to her what on the face of it a real like a slap in the face. He says, no, I've, I've come for the children of Israel. It's not right that I give the bread that's designed for the children to their dogs. Oh, Jesus. But then this woman responds, and I just love what she says. You know, you remember what she says? She says, yes, but even the dogs can eat the crumbs that fall from the children's table. And Jesus goes, it's like, you got me. <laughs> you got me. You know, he was going to show me he wanted mercy. But this woman, with, with the desperation in her heart, she finds what she needs. She's, she's desperate. There's, there's a violence in her need and a desperation for Jesus that he honors. Um, I wonder if this is what Jesus says or means in Matthew eleven twelve 12, when he says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. There's a violence in the heart of the ones that need and know they need Jesus and God's mercy, his hesed, is drawn towards that. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And, and from what we, we see, the Bible says, that, you know, we are only saved by faith, saved by God's grace. He, he works salvation, but pious apathy is never the response. The Bible says Rahab, here's an example of faith. She saw what she needed and she reached out in faith and she acted on it and she took it. So the second thing we see there, which is encouraging. Third, this passage I think reminds us of a, of a stark truth of salvation. Rahab, she's put in a position where it's one or the other. She can stay in Jericho the life that she knew, put her eggs in that basket, or she can put her eggs in the basket of the God of Israel. She can't do both. The circumstances which she's there, just think about it, she's one or the other. She just can't do both. She, she's got to make a choice. And we know, I think, um, if you're a Christian here this morning, you know if you're, if you're visiting, you're tuning online, you're not yet a Christian, this is the truth of it, that Jesus very clearly says there's only two ways you can go. There's the wide, broad road that leads to destruction or the narrow way that leads to life. 
you've got one of two options. All your eggs have got to go in one basket, just like Rahab. It hasn't changed. Um, but why do I, I make this point? Because I think we often think that there's a third way. It's the best way. You know, it's, we, can, we can be in Jericho still and enjoy the comforts of Jericho, but we can also be with God's people in Jerusalem, if you like. We can, we can have a bit of both. We, just don't, we won't get too extreme on either. And we can have the best of both. And sometimes that works along the lines for us as Christians. It says, well, I'll follow Jesus, but only if you'll let me do this or that. Have you heard that? Or, I mean, I think that was some of the wrestle Dom was, was saying. I'll follow Jesus, but I don't want to give up that. Or I'll follow Jesus, but let's not get down to the hip pocket and the wallet. I'll follow Jesus, but not, I've got to be able to marry the person that I want. I'll follow Jesus, but I won't leave my job. I'll follow Jesus, but only if my parents and my family agree. Lots of different ways where we're tempted to put the eggs in, into baskets but, baskets, but Rahab's example says there's no third road. Each of us are in or we're out. We're in with the people of God or we're outside the people of God. We have to choose. And that choice, you cannot have eggs in both baskets. In regards to money, Jesus says you can't love money and love God. It's impossible. You're going to go one direction or the other. That's why when Jesus says, says anyone who would come after me must what? Deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. And I think many of us would go, yeah, we've done that years ago. But at least if my experience is anything to go from, it's not something you do once. You have to do it again. Like, so let, let me ask you this. So if God said to you, we've been speaking about um, global mission. Let, let's say, for example, God said to you, I want you to go overseas into a place that you don't know with a language, and I'm not saying he does by any means, but I'm saying, let's say he did, what would you say? I didn't sign on for that. No. No, God. No. What if he asked you? What if he asked you to do something which it meant a change of career or job? That no? That's not fair, Jesus. You, you, you can't. You see what I mean? How we, we easily put our eggs in the basket of Jericho and tell ourselves that we're, we're living actually in the covenant people. But the Christian message is, and this is absolutely clear, Rahab knew it 100%, you're in or you're out. You come into God's covenant people or you're outside. And once you come into God's covenant people, you are under God's king and you must go anywhere, anytime, anyhow that he tells you. This is not... New teaching. This is always the teaching of, Bible, of, the, of, of Jesus. You, if you will follow him, he demands everything. There's no part of your life that is outside of his sovereignty. Everything. Could, could you say anywhere, anyhow, anytime? I love uh, the centurion. You know, the Roman centurion? And he has that interaction with Jesus. And then he says to Jesus... Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. Just say the word, Jesus. Just say the word. Can you, will you and I say to Jesus this morning, just say the word? Just say the word. And I will do what you tell me to, because 
like Rahab, I've been brought into the community of faith. That's the third. Fourth, finally. I think this is the big point. There's a real beauty here that reminds us how clearly and directly God's mercy is focused on outsiders. On the outsiders. Rahab was about as outsider-ish as you can get. Without going into all the details, the, the language, the Hebrew is exactly clear what her profession was. And with that profession went, went Canaanite worship. The people in Jericho practiced child sacrifice. Did, did Rahab do that? Did she bring one of her unwanted children? We don't know. But she is absolutely as far as you could possibly imagine from being in the people of God. But Matthew, in his gospel in chapter 1, he seems at pains to point something out because Rahab's name comes there. This woman's name is featured in the genealogy of Israel's most glorious son, the most glorious Jewish person of the covenant ever to live. And don't think David, because yeah, Rahab is, is, Dahab, um, is David's great, great, great grandmother, but it's not Rahab. This woman, it's not David, this woman Rahab is the ancestor of Jesus. The one who would, would come and in, all, in many ways would be an outsider himself. He would come along other outsiders, come alongside them, show them the, the grace and love of God. Think of Matthew the tax collector, the traitor and the exploiter. Think of the woman caught in adultery, or my favourite of all is the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. There's echoes of Rahab in her, isn't there? She, she comes to Jesus and she's caught up in her own sexual sin and the sin of others against her. She's alienated, she's distant, she's far from God. And we see the disturbing habit of Jesus reaching out to an outsider like her. And then we see the disturbing result of outsiders like that woman in Samaria and like Matthew getting drawn towards Jesus and getting transformed. And I say disturbing because for those of us who might think we're insiders, that's really disturbing. I mean, what about all the insiders? You know, these outsiders come and they're full of messiness and brokenness and, and why is God doing that? They're too far away from God anyway. They've made all these mistakes and all these sins and yet in they come into the kingdom of God. This year, as we begin to think about our focus areas and I shared with you that global, proclaiming Jesus locally and globally, this has got to be at our heart. This story of Rahab, far off, brought close by the mercy of God, is a word to us, I think, here in Geelong, that, that there are people in our communities who we think are too far from the mercy of God. There are people in our relationships that we know who we think God would never touch them. They are so set in their ways. They are so far away from God. There are people out in our communities here we think... Yeah, I could think of a lot of people becoming Christians, but never them. And this reminds us that God's mercy is so vast and so big, his power is so strong that there are outsiders in our communities who God is already reaching in. And he reminds us that 
that was you and that was me. Yeah, Dom's story is, is great because not all of, uh, everyone's story is great. Not all of us have a story like Dom. Not all of us have encountered some of the blackness that he encountered, but we were all outsiders. We were all far off from God's covenant promises and we were brought close in Jesus Christ. So as I finish this morning, I want to urge us and encourage us and encourage myself. Let's look with the eyes of Scripture with a a chesed, a mercy and a kindness and a love that God showed us towards those in our world. Inviting them to come and receive what we have, the mercy and love of God through Jesus Christ. So I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to close out by, by singing, by worshipping. But as they come up, I'd love to pray for us. Uh, Father, this morning we know that um, we are often think that we're insiders and we, we can tend to look with pride or with judgment on those who are clearly outsiders. But we thank you this morning that we see that you are a God of chesed, of covenant mercy and kindness. And we thank you, Lord, that you've brought us who are far off into your kingdom through Jesus Christ, that our sins are forgiven, that our our debt is paid, that our, our future is opened up. And we thank you, Lord, that you call us to be the same to a world, your world. People like Rahab living far from you, yet your power is still at work and your grace is still on the move. So we pray, Lord, that our church and each one of us, you would show us this year how we can focus on this to the glory of God. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.